Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of it all. I'm Jeff Robson and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This past week, on September 30th, 2021, here in Canada we're recognizing our first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. I feel it's important to mention that this show comes to you from Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene people, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. I offer my full love and respect and sorrow to generations of peoples who have been wronged, and I pledge to do my best to learn, to understand, to support, and to educate others. The guest on today's show has a wealth of education and experience from a career teaching Indigenous children in Alberta before he became a full-time songwriter. A few years ago, he wrote a powerful song that speaks about the painful, shameful past in this country. He's also a successful and acclaimed Canadian songwriter with a lot of interesting stories to tell. My name is John Mort Hannum. I live in southern Alberta and I'm a songwriter. John Ward Hannum hails from Alberta, where he started out writing narrative story songs and character sketches and carved out a name for himself, singing those songs and telling those stories all across Canada and beyond. He made a couple of albums independently, then a couple with the help and backing of influential and successful producer Steve Dawson. Those were released on Steve's Black Hen music label. In 2011, John and his wife Jenny welcomed a son, Charlie, and he started writing more personal songs, exposing more of his own feelings and experiences. That's where he really found his stride as a songwriter and began to create his most meaningful work. Wanting to record closer to home, he made a couple of albums with Leroy Stagger, who was, of course, our guest on the first episode of Fly With Your Shadow. There's some truly powerful and wonderful songs on all of John's albums, but a couple from more recent albums really stand out as ones that I wanted to talk to John about. One from his 2015 album, Love Lives On, is a song called Man of God. They took away our clothes and our Indian names They pulled out my feather and threw it to the flames They cut off the braids that my mama had tied it had the Lord on their lips, but the devil in their eyes. When I think that song is inspired by the book Up Ghost River by Edmund Matatawaban, detailing his painful experiences growing up in an Indian residential school. That was a dark and disturbing chapter of Canadian history that has caused generations of trauma and hardships for our Indigenous peoples. It's a difficult history to come to know, but one that needs to be shared and learned about. John's latest release, 2019's Acres of Elbow Room, came about after a particularly difficult period of dark depression for John, which culminated in a physical manifestation of years of undiagnosed and untreated difficulty. At the time, he lost his voice and couldn't sing anymore. The song that came out of it is called Key of D Minor, and it's a powerful one that I could relate to directly. Some days the blues, they hang around my door. I can't hold her back no more. She bangs and she begs, there's no denying her. She makes me sing in the key of D. I'm pleased to present this conversation with John Ward Hannum, where we talk about all of that and much more. I ain't in it for the short term. I'm in it for the slow burn. Ain't looking for a short and sweet. I'm looking for a repeat. John, uh, I've been a fan for a long time, and, uh, and I know that early on your songs kind of... Um, things changed over your songs i would say over the past couple of records is is it is that fair to say like your your perspective the the kinds of songs that you're writing has changed over the past couple of records yeah i think so i think the focus has changed and i think it's i i like to think that it's because i've you know i've gotten better at the craft but i i think you're right i can see early sort of recordings where i am sort of 
I'm singing other people's stories and um, and when I can't come up with those, I'm writing songs about, you know, history or the landscape of Southern Alberta. So I got, I got coal miners in there and I'm, you know, I've got farmers and all of those things. And both of those things are actually in my family history, but, but they're not really personal experiences, obviously. Um, and I think the shift that you're talking about is because I, because I, I, I think it was, pretty obvious to me that there was a shift and I think it's when I sort of realized that the most powerful songs that I heard other people sing were ones when they kind of showed their vulnerability and they showed uh, as I say sometimes where they open up their rib cage and let you look inside and and I as I sort of got more confident at writing songs um, I think that I yeah, I, I sort of was okay with, with writing about myself. I, I think early on, I didn't think that my life was very interesting and, and, and it, and there was nothing, there were, there were no stories there, but I think what I've realized as I get older is that the stories that I'm experiencing now, so those would be like, you know, I became a dad later in life and, and I, I now have elderly parents um, and one of them has dementia and, 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 I think that what I'm realizing is that those stories are universal and the, the, the joys and the, uh, the victories and the, um, the hurdles that you trip over with all the, you know, with, with everything, other people experience those same things. So if you can sort of, if you're able to find some sort of universal theme, you know, as you're writing that it's okay to write about yourself, I guess is what I've realized. I, I remember early on going, I remember, really early on thinking to myself i'm not writing me songs i do not want to hear another songwriter sing about themselves i'm not writing me 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 songs and and but again it's like i realized that no it's okay it's okay and and actually it's more real to sing about myself and my real experiences as long as i can sort of get it across these universal themes that we all feel as we experience them there's nothing wrong with writing story songs, though. I know you and I are, are huge fans of Guy Clark and, and guys like that. And, and you know, nobody could tell a story about, you know, whatever better than better than Guy Clark, if you ask me. And, and obviously he wrote a lot of personal songs as well. There's a lot of him in there. But a lot of the songs were, were just stories about, you know, other people that he'd come across as well. So there's uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with those songs, but but why do these shoes fit better for you than the other ones did? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, and I feel like I still write those. Like there is a, there's a song on the new album called Twilight Diner and it's not really one particular, you know, narrative of one event or one person. But when I was touring a lot, say 10 years ago, um, I used to love being in New York state because they had all those, um, they had those diners, you know, like on the middle of the highway in the middle of nowhere, there'd be this 24 hour diner that looked like one of those aluminum trailers. And, uh, you know, you at three o'clock in the morning, you'd see just some really unique characters. And, and you know, so I'm, I'm still drawing from that type of stuff and I'm creating maybe a narrative around it and stories. I, I still all, I still like those songs a lot. I just feel like I've, there's, there's songs to be tapped out of, you know, the personal experience. Um, and that, and, and I know when I'm writing them, but you know, sometimes the hair turns up on the back of my neck and I kind of feel like, yeah, you're onto something here. So, you know, don't let it go. I know early on I would start writing a song sometimes and I would sort of clue in after say the first few lines, I'd go, Oh, you know, like Guy Clark wouldn't write a song like this and I'd crumple it up and I'd throw it out because I wanted to write songs like my songwriting heroes. And and now I kind of feel like uh, I'm not writing Guy Clark songs and never I would never, you know, be able to, but I'm writing John Ward Hannum songs and, and they sound good to me because they're real. You know, they come they come from the heart and they come from real experience. So obviously early on, you, you, you must have had some confidence and you felt good about your songs, but, but you feel that much stronger about these ones now? Like, do you feel like you're, you're the writer that you really wanted to be early on? 
Or are you still working towards it? I think I'm getting there. You know, I, I every time every time I put out a record, I would I would like to think that these this set of songs is better than the last set of songs and, and so forth. And the, and I hope that I continue to, you know, sort of grow. I, I I know my personality, and that's if I if I don't continue to grow, I'll I'll get bored of it and I'll give it up. That's kind of what I do you know in the past it's like i i get really heavy into something and then once i've sort of sucked all the life out of it and, and can't get anything more out of it and, and can't improve i kind of go oh okay and i move on to something else but um yeah i hope i you know get i hope i continue to get better and i'm i i always say i hope i hope i'm lying on my deathbed one day and i go yeah i think i wrote you know a handful of songs i'm really proud of you know i i hope that's a that's that is a goal i hope it happens don't you have a handful now that you that you're proud of that you think are pretty good or or no i have a i have a i have a couple that i like but (laughs) you know i got lots that i cringe at when i hear them back the best of john ward hannam is going to be a short record is that what you're saying yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the greatest hits there, there. Yeah, well, there, there will be no greatest hits because there's never been any. But, um, but yeah, I don't. You know, I mean, I guess it would be like, it would be like anybody who who does something, you know, or is passionate about something. If they look at what they were producing 20 years ago, they might cringe and go, "Oh boy, I can't believe I did that that way," or "I can't believe I let that slide." You know, same same thing. I, I think it's kind of natural to be kind of embarrassed by the stuff that you used to do though. Like I always, I always hear songwriters feeling like, like kind of embarrassed by their early work and feeling like, Oh, nobody should ever hear that or whatever. But I'm embarrassed of the stuff that I did 20 years ago. I hope I'm better now, but that doesn't, that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. that, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, there's no value in, in that old stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I certainly there's hope also... I'm better now. There's also a beauty, though, in that first stuff where you don't know. You know, I I don't tell many people this, and I probably shouldn't say this on the radio, but I remember listening back to you know in the at the recording studio, listening back to the first record I made. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, "This is this is probably the best record that's ever been made." <laughs> you know, like you know, I was really, I really thought like I had nailed it. And I listen to those songs now and I'm like, oh God, I hope those songs don't ever get played. But there was a, there was a beauty in the innocence and, and of knowing you know, or, or thinking that I was, you know, doing something special. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not proud of those first songs that I did because obviously, you know, those were the, I was building a foundation there that I was hoping to build off in, you know, with each, with each album as they came. Um, but yeah, you know, I, they're, they're a bit cringy sometimes. And, or, and I, even, even specific words, like I think to myself, I would never use that word in a song ever again. You know, why would, or, or I would never use it now. Why did I think it was okay then? That kind of stuff. Well, speaking of the, the best of John Ward Hannum, you, you kind of forced yourself to do that this summer. You did your, your herd immunity where you, you, you went back through all of your records and, uh, and picked some songs. Well, I guess you, you sort of had your audience pick some songs, right? Did that, did that force you to kind of go back and listen to these records again? Or are you the kind of person who's listening to them anyway? Like, like, have you listened to these records in a long time? I have not listened to them in a long time. And, uh, Usually, you know, I listen. I listen to a record a couple times when we make it, and you know, I listen to it when it gets mixed, and then I listen to it when it gets mastered, and then after that, I usually don't listen to my music. And, um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was a, it was a fun sort of experiment. I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed looking back into the songs, and it was nice to, you know, I, part of me was like, oh my god, I don't want to tell people to you know, tell me what their favorite songs are because they might go like, nobody might respond. Like people might go, I, I don't even know who you are. What are you talking about? Your, my favorite songs of yours, but actually, you know, people were very sweet and people did respond and, and send me lots of emails and, you know, posts on Facebook and stuff like that. And, um, it, it was, yeah, it was enjoyable. And I, I actually felt like, you know, it's so hard to connect over, 
Zoom and live streaming and stuff like that. And it felt like, oh, okay, this is one way where I kind of, in a roundabout way, I am connecting with the listeners and because they have input into what I'm doing. Now, I know from having watched those uh, those live streams of yours, you were kind of surprised by some of the choices, right? Like, like you didn't expect people to like certain songs as much as they did. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was surprised. I mean, the whole thing surprised me. I'm surprised that people watched. Period. I'm, um, I'm surprised that they wrote in their, you know, what what they thought were their favorite songs. Um, yes, yeah, some of the choices were not choices that I would have picked. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, as I said, it was it was it was fun to do for sure. You must learn something about the impact of your work when people tell you why a certain song means so much or, or tell you these stories, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I mean, it's, fun, it's funny, you know, when I, when I write a new song and maybe start to sing it live before I ever record it, I always know... Um, well, I was, I was going to say if it's, if, it's, if it's good or not, but that's not what I necessarily mean. I, I always know that if, if it connects with people right away, because they'll come up to me, you know, during the break or something like that. And they'll say, you know, what album's that on? Or, you know, is that, you know, can I, can I download or can I stream that song? And I always go, Oh, okay. Well, I guess it's, you know, it's made a connection with the listener, which, which is always, you know, nice to hear. Well, in particular, I wanted to talk to you about a song that, uh, that had a particular impact on me from your last record. You have a song called key of D minor. And, uh, it, it really kind of, I don't know, it was, it's one of those songs where I heard it and I kind of thought that maybe I had told you my story before you wrote it or something. And I, I kind of felt like you were writing a bit about me. Can, can you tell me a bit about where that song comes from? And yeah, well, I mean, key, key of D minor was sort of me coming out. I mean, that was the first song I wrote coming out of a, for me, what was a deep depression. And I, I I've struggled with my mental health for, for a number of years, I would say probably even longer than I know. I just, I would say within the last uh, six or seven years, I've sort of actually put a label on it and, you know, gone to get, uh, yeah, just get, to get help. And uh, it, it sort of, I wasn't taking care of my mental health and it, and it started to uh, spiral and deteriorate. And it actually, again didn't know it at the time but it actually manifested itself in a physical sense and i i lost my singing voice and um i started i started going to every practitioner who would see me you know and i would usually start the session with crying in their office and and saying you got to help me because i don't know really who i am if i can't sing because it's a big part of of how i identify who I am and and what makes me up as a person. And um, usually they would look me over and I would, or I'd get a, you know, I'd get a scope up the nose or someone would, uh, yeah, you know, I I went to Eastern medicine, Western medicine, whoever would see me desperate to sort of, to be able to sing properly again. And they all at the end of the sort of, you know, session or appointment would say, well, you seem pretty healthy and everything, you know, physically looks, looks really good. So, you know, how's, how's your life? And at the time I would, I would get almost angry at the doctors because I would say, well, my life's fine if I could just sing, you know, and, and they would say, no, I think that your singing will come back, you know, if you sort of sort out your life. And, and I realized it's like, oh yeah, okay. I really do need to sort of sort of rectify a few things and and deal with a few things in, in with my mental health and and actually once I I don't mean to make it sound like it's so simple like oh I flipped a switch and I was and I was healed but but when I did start to sort of work on some things and own up to some things um, my singing voice came back and I still I still you know have to sort of check myself on a fairly regular basis I can. I can, I, I'm better at detecting it now. I'm better at knowing when the sort of the darkness is starting to creep in or my, my brain's getting a little bit clogged up with, you know, with some fog and, and stuff like that. But I also feel like I've also gotten better at, uh, you, know, you know, I have some tools to deal with it. And I, like, I know that when I'm feeling, 
like I'm, you know, sort of dealing with a bout of depression. I know that I have to get out of the house. I know I have to exercise. I know I have to go down to the coolies and be by the river and walk the dog and all of those things and sort of get sort of outside of my head as much as I can. So obviously you have this newfound kind of clarity or understanding, but, but before that, like, did you know that, that you had kind of a problem? Did you know that you weren't feeling the way that you should have felt or, or? No, I mean, I did. I mean, I just, but I always, I, you know, put it up to, well, I'm tired, you know, cause I'm, 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 I'm touring a lot and I'm, you know, staying in, not sleeping in my own bed. I'm staying in lots of motels and, and, uh, I just put it up to the fact that I was sort of, you know, leading, I mean, I'm no rock star and I've never lived the rock star lifestyle, but I also, you know, went through a, a decade of not living a very healthy lifestyle either, you know, lots of late nights and, and uh lots of alcohol and, and 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 things like that and just not exercising and sitting in a van for eight hours a day and things like that and um but i think you know once i st- sort of started to get better at again recognizing oh okay you're you know i can feel it i can f- sort of feeling it the that sort of darkness starting to to get closer and closer it's like i i know how to combat it now did you have a hard time except like when you, when you started to figure out that this was kind of a mental thing that was causing your voice and whatever, what was that hard for you to accept that, that it was all kind of in your head? Yeah. Cause you know, it, it, I grew up in, you know, with one of the sort of the, you know, my dad was like from the happy day from happy days, you know, like with the font, you know, like, you know, he, he, he sort of never really showed emotion and he, you know, I never once saw my dad sort of cry or anything like that. And when he did show emotion, it was usually rage and it was, you know, it was a lot, it was very, it was anger and rage and stuff like that. And my dad was one of those guys that went to work every day, regardless of whether he was well or, you know, had the flu or, or anything like that. He was just sort of, he was one of those tough guys. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, I sort of grew up under you know under as his son and 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 sort of felt like I could always there wasn't I always felt like there was nothing that I would experience or had experienced that I couldn't handle I remember saying that to people they're just like I got this like I'm a smart guy I can make sense of the world and I can make sense of myself in the world but it sort of part of that realization and part of that sort of owning up and all those things is is me saying, you know what, I actually can't make sense of myself in the world right now. And I can't handle this. And, and if I don't deal with it, there's, there's going to be trouble. And I've told, you know, a few people, but I'm not afraid to sort of say it anymore. I'm not embarrassed about it, but I've had to ask for help. You know, I've, I'm, I'm currently not on medication, but I've been on medication for my mental health. I've had those, you know, I've had those long walks in the early hours of the morning to emergency to go in and just tell people I, I need some help right now because I'm having a hard time sort of, you know, thinking about the four hours that, you know, until the sun comes up type thing. I, and uh, yeah, you know, I just I think there's that just being honest with yourself is is really important. And that's that's what I, I I've tried to do is just sort of just be more vocal about it too. And also just let people know, like if I'm, if I'm really struggling, I, you know, I tell my wife now, I just tell her, I'm, you know, I'm really struggling over this last sort of three or four days and um, just, you know, bear with me. I'm, I'm, I'm working through it and I've, I've got my, you know, as I said, my tools and I know I should go for a run and stuff like that. And I do those things and, you know, uh, pull out, you know, pull out of it, manage it, I guess is, is the word you manage it, right? Like, you learn, you learn that this is something you sort of, you're going to have. And, um, you know, it's not like I walk around mopey all the time or I'm sad, but I definitely know that it's part of my makeup and it's, you know, and, um, yeah, if I need to be on medicine, I have no problem going on medicine or anything like that. Yeah. How much of this is, uh, sort of this, uh, this growth and this wanting to get better is, is tied to you uh, being a parent. Cause I, I know that, I know that your, your, your son is, is a huge part of your world. And, and if you're like me, a lot of this, uh, clarity and growth and wanting to get better comes from being a parent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of, 
I think the first time I really experienced a heavy downward spiral was because I was a parent, you know, and, and it was everything from, well, how am I going to live my lifestyle? How am I going to continue to be me um, and play music and all of these things if I'm supposed to, you know, be a parent and supposed to be a dad. And then the flip side of that is, you know, this sort of drive for me to want to continue to be on the road and make music and I'm not wanting to give up anything um, and not wanting anything in the way of, of me trying to achieve those goals. But then the flip side was me also not wanting to be gone all the time. Like I wanted to be home. I wanted to, exp- I wanted to see my son and I wanted to be a dad and all of those things. And so I often used to think to myself, God, I wish there were two of me. I wish there was one that was out on the road and I wish the other one was, you know, the dad at the home. And, and I think a big part of me sort of maturing and, and coming coming to some sort of middle ground with my mental health as well is, is finding balance. You know, you hear that a lot, like you've got to have balance in life and me realizing, okay, how do I continue to make music and, and feel like I'm, I'm being creative, but also, you know, um, go pick up, you know, I got to be somewhere at three 30, regardless, every, every day, Monday to Thursday, I've got to be at the school to pick up my son at three 30. Um, and you know, I've got responsibilities to him and responsibilities to my wife. Um, and so it's finding that balance. And I feel like I get closer and closer to that all the time as I get older. The other big topic that I like to talk about on this show is kind of the impact of this pandemic on, on, you know, musicians and, and, and our, and the industry. Um, but it, uh, I guess it forced you to kind of confront some of these things, right? Like all of a sudden, you can't be out on the road, so you get to spend time with your family, but how much of that is also you feeling like you've lost the ability to go out and share these songs with people? Like, like were you were you okay with uh, being stuck at home for a while, or, or did you feel that longing as well? I, I mean, I was okay with being, you know, I felt very lucky that I got to hunker down with my family. You know, I, my, my wife and son, we were all home together. Um, that felt good. I know that there were lots of people who couldn't um, hunker down with with their support system and with people uh, that they loved and were loved by. Um, and so I felt very lucky with that. But um, I know for the first little while, it, it kind of felt good. I was like, oh, I guess this is what retirement feels like. <laughs> like this is, this is, you know, this feels okay not to be, you know, sort of racing to here or there or, you know, um, trying to check into a motel at one one o'clock in the morning, all of those kind of things. But then it, it did start to wear on me after a while. I sort of, I missed, I missed pulling my guitar out of the case. I missed playing songs. And, and I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but when, when the, when March, 2020 hit, I actually, in that first eight weeks to 12 weeks, I wrote half of the new album. I just, I just, I was very, was very creative. And I was just, I was feeling like, Oh, okay. This feels like old times. And I, and part of it was probably the fact that I had time, you know, I now had time to sort of focus again on sort of songs and fine tuning songs and editing and all that stuff. But once that sort of was done after a while, it sort of dried up and I actually haven't, I haven't written a single word for since probably about August of 2020. Not, not nothing. I've, I'm like, I feel like the well is dried up. I, it'll come back. I know it will. I've gone through other periods where I've, I haven't r- sort of written much or even anything at all, but that was the other reason for me to make a record during the pandemic. I was like, okay, you're not writing songs. You're not touring. Let's take what you do have and let's, let's make a recording. So you never, like, would you have consciously been ready to make another record anyway, or did this just kind of accelerate that process for you having that time? Yeah, it just, ex- yeah, it just accelerated it for sure. I mean, I was, you know, I knew, or at least I felt like I had the beginnings of another record. So I knew at some point I would add to that in, in, you know, eventually would come up with, with a records full of songs and I would make a record. I'm also, you know, I, I'm not very prolific, to be honest. Like I, I, I have musician friends that, you know, take 30, 25 or 30 songs to a producer and say, okay, let's, you know, which, which 11 or which 10 shall we record? 
I'm not like when I when I've when I written my 10th song, I go, OK, it's time to make a record like I have. I, you know, I have no throwaways when I go into the studio because I just it, I don't write that many songs. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, at some point I would have made a record probably in 2021, but I sort of felt like, OK, let's just get this done now. What was it like kind of planning this and, and recording this and not and being stuck at home? Like, like what, what did you figure was going to happen? How did, how did you figure this was going to come together? Did you just assume the pandemic was going to be short and you were going to just go do it the regular way or what? Well, yeah. I mean, originally, you know, I was, I was like, oh yeah, you know, three weeks, <laughs> you know, in three weeks we, sh- we should be back out there. Big reset and then we're good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, even, you know, shows of venues and stuff like that were phoning and saying, Hey, you know, your show in March is canceled. Let's pick it. You know, let's pick an, uh, let's pick an April date, you know, thinking like in a month we'll, we'll do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting back to that question, I, yeah, I kind of thought that eventually, you know, I would sort of gather, you know, with a bunch of musicians and we'd sit around and record, you know, uh, I always like to think that I try to, you know, instead of, making a record i always think to myself let's try and make music that just happens to be recorded you know like let's just try and sit around and sing these songs like we would if we were sitting around somebody's kitchen but um you know i the opposite happened this time actually so the way we made the record was um i asked steve steve dawson to produce it and so about a block from me there's a musician friend of mine who has a rehearsal space but it's all really soundproofed, you know, with baffles and the whole thing. And, and he allowed me to go in there. So I would take my laptop in there, just me and my guitar. And I would get on zoom with Steve Dawson at the hen house down in Nashville. And um, we would sing And the way, the way we did it was um, I sang him the demos. He sent those demos to the drummer. The drummer made a four bar drum loop that came back to me i dropped in into garage band and i just looped that four bar drum loop over and over again for for three or four minutes and then i played to it and we pushed record and uh, and then you know steve took that and the, the drummer was in toronto the bass player was in vancouver and we layered it you know layer upon layer which i've i've never experienced that before we've always you know, sometimes I've been isolated in a booth, but the band has always been together. You know, we're making music at the same time. This felt, this felt very foreign. I actually don't want to make a record like that ever again, unless I, <laughs> unless I have to. The, the, the only thing that I, that I could say was sort of like felt good or maybe I guess would be a positive is that when I was done, I was done. Like, you know, like I would, I would sing to this drum loop in, in my headphones. And if I felt like I got a good take or if Steve Dawson said, Hey, I think that's the take. I, I walked away from that song. And, and it, when it came back to my ears, it had, you know, the, the rhythm section on and it had Steve and, and there was harmonies on it that, and I had nothing to do with it. You know, I sort of was at home, you know, with my family while this song was sort of being created. And, Steve would send a mix to me and I'd say, yeah, I love it. Or I would say, you know, can you tweak this and tweak that? And that was it. So there was almost like a freeing aspect to the, to the way it was done for me. Um, But I missed, I missed being in a room with musicians and I, I, I missed the hang between takes, you know, the jokes and eating with people and all of those things. I, I, you know, I hope the next record I make, I get to, make it live with you know people actually <laughs> together in a room was there any concern about it kind of not being so much your vision if you're not as directly involved with recording all the parts and and being there for all that stuff like did you did you fear that you were going to lose some of yourself in there no no and i and i'll tell you why it's because whenever I've worked with any producer, not that I've worked with that many, but I'm, you know, Steve Dawson or Leroy Stagger, you know, those guys, I always think to myself, you've hired these people for a reason. You've hired them because you like, you know, you've heard, you've heard their work and you like it. So I try really hard not to sort of start out by sort of handcuffing them by going, Oh, by the way, I don't like this. I don't like that. And I don't like this and this and this, you know, I sort of, 
I feel like I've hired them for a vision that they have and a way of making records that they that they do and just believe in that. I mean, if you know, if there was ever anything that I was really uncomfortable with, then I would say, hmm, you know, I, I don't like that. Let's let's rethink this, how we're gonna approach the song. But for the most part, I, I sort of I want them to take it and I want them to um put their spin on it. That's you know, that's why I hired them. But uh I mean you made a couple of great records with with Steve and then a couple of great records with uh with Leroy Stagger. And I, I gotta believe that you know, when you move on to a different producer or whatever, there's there's got to be a desire to try something new or, or, or learn something new from somebody else or something like that. Is, is that part of why you switch producers? And and if so, why go back to somebody that you had made records with in the past? You're right. Um, no, I mean, those those records I made with Leroy were, I mean, I... I I think Leroy is a great songwriter and I, and I think he's a great musician and I think he's made some great records and he also lived a block from my house. So, you know, when, when it came time to, you know, like I was talking before about, you know, finding balance, you know, how do I make music, but I'm also home to be a dad and stuff like that. So all of that played in there. And I, I say that without sort of, I don't want to make it sound like, Oh, I went with Leroy so I could be, you know, so I didn't have to leave Lethbridge. It, it, it wasn't that at all, but it was, it seemed like, oh, I get the both the best of both worlds here. I get to stay home, and I get to go over to a great studio where there's a great producer and stuff like that. The, you know, going back to Steve, um, was was a, more about me having such a great experience with Steve, and 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 I love I love the treatment that Steve put on the two previous records that I made with him, and it was, really was like, yeah, I'd like to you know, I'd like to see what Steve can do or what he would like to do with these new songs. Cause I felt like, I felt like I'd grown a lot, you know, since, I mean, the last record I made with Steve would have been um, Queens Hotel. And that was, I, I think that was 2009. So I felt like I'd grown a lot in a decade. I felt like Steve had grown a lot in, in a decade of, of uh, playing music and him making records and, and mixing and all of those things. And so I felt like, yeah, let's see what we can both do together. And ultimately, like the record is done, right? Like it's it's coming out right away, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's coming out like in a couple of weeks. It, it it's done. It's yeah. Um, and you know, I'm I'm thrilled with it. I really am. Um, I I think that um, I, I'm happy with the songs, and I and I I feel like you know the the the, the playing on it. Everybody did such an incredible job. I, I yeah, I'm thrilled with it. Now, uh, I just wanted to go back a, a little bit to the pandemic. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, being being you know the musician on the level that you are, live performance is a, is is where you make your income, right? Like that's that's how you yeah. feed your kids. So, yeah. so all of a sudden, not having gigs for a year and a half, what's what's that yeah. like? Yeah, no, it was. I mean, that part was tough. You know, again, it was. You know, I sure enjoyed hunkering down with my family, but um, you know, I went like many other people. I went on to the Serb. And, um, you know, that sort of gave us enough to pay the mortgage and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, financially, it was a hit and, and um, to the, you know, to the bank account. And and also, you know, I mentioned before that all of a sudden I had time to uh, make a record. But <laughs> what I what I lacked was the funds, you know, because because I wasn't supplementing income with playing live, uh, you know, and. Um, I ended up doing a Kickstarter campaign, which was really great, and people stepped up, and and it was really successful, and that was that was uh, a beautiful thing to see. But yeah, I I certainly, you know, but even that, I mean, I I feel like if I was, you know, I, I don't think anybody, well, some people I guess do, but I I never entered music to, to sort of as a, I never thought about it as a source of income. <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> like. Like never, you know, like I always thought, you know, I, I, I want to make music because I like to make music. I like to write songs and I like to sing, you know, the fact that I make a bit of income from it seems like icing on the cake type thing. So I feel like, if you know, like people who think, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a singer so that I can make lots of money. I kind of feel like, oh, boy, like, you know, the, the chances of making it. <laughs> but I got a surprise for you. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I just feel like, yeah, you know, that's possible. And, and, you know, I've been able to, I've been able over the last 20 years to, um, you know, pay my bills and things like that. But, you know, there's, there's no, there's no delusion here that I, you know, I'm raking in the bucks. That's for sure. But during this downtime or not knowing when this thing was going to end, was there ever a time where you're like, well, I guess you should go back to teaching or do something else? Was there any doubt in your mind that you would just go right back to it? I'm not crazy. (laughs) 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 No, you know, what's really funny is I actually, um, about two weeks before school this year, I got a call from the, from the uh, high school that I used to teach at offering me a job. Yeah. And, um, I, I just said, you know, so it's been 20 years since I, I, I left teaching and funny enough, the job that they were offering me was the exact job that I left 20 years ago. I, I, I said to the principal, I said, have you been holding this for me like the whole time? <laughs> like, but you know, I, I, I really, uh, actually really enjoyed my time teaching, but I, I just said to the principal, I'm, I'm not mentally or emotionally or even on any sort of organizational level prepared to step back into you know a teaching position after being gone for 20 years um you know i i, I taught on i taught on the blood reserve uh blackfoot reserve here in southern alberta and um i've said this before and it's true if i was to ever go back to teaching i that's where i would want to go um, I feel like that experience impacted my life uh, on, on a bunch of levels, and I would step back onto the reserve in a second. I just, I just feel like I'm not done yet. I just feel like I've got more to say uh, in music, and I've got, there's some more songs in there, and I, um, you know, it, uh, yeah. But no, the, the you know the thought of oh boy, I should I should I better go back to teaching never really occurred to me not because of the pandemic and i I gotta be honest i mean it wasn't again it wasn't tons and tons of money but i was so overwhelmed with the uh the live stream you know the tip jar i set up like many musicians i set up a little tip jar on my website and there were days where i would do a live stream and then i you know i would check my my paypal account you know three four days later and i would I would be so surprised. Oh my God. Like there's actual mortgage payments here. Like, you know, people were so, you know, just so giving. And, um, I mean, there were times where I didn't have a live stream and I'll, and then I would get this little notification, you know, that somebody had just put some money in my tip jar for, I guess, for no reason, you know? Um, and I sure was, was grateful for, for those people that, that, that remembered, you know, Oh yeah, there's musicians in this world. There's artists or there's, these people who aren't working. Um, and yeah, it made me feel really, really good to be honest. Uh, being such a, uh, blue collar guy though, was, was it hard for you to, first of all, ask people for money to make a record and then, you know, open up this tip jar? Was, was there any kind of reluctance to do that? Any, any pride that you had to get over before you could accept that kind of generosity? Yeah. I don't like asking for money. You know, I always feel like nobody does. yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Nobody does. And, um, I, you know, I, I still like to think, you know, I mentioned the Kickstarter campaign. I still like to think of that as, well, that's just pre-ordering. <laughs> you know, like I sort of wrap my head around it that way. I go, well, really, they're just kind of pre-ordering the record. And then I, you know, when I make it and manufacture it, I, I send them a copy. But, um, yeah, I don't, you know, again, it's the, the tip jar thing. It, yeah, I, I was a little hesitant you know to to set it up but at the same time uh i just you know i remember doing a little live stream the first one i actually did was for the for uh, a music club in in england and the guy said to me well can you send me the link to your tip jar and i said i don't have one and uh, he said oh you, you gotta have one he said we everybody's got one you know and uh i set it up that day you know and type thing yeah i I don't know as i was saying before it's like you know i i I was overwhelmed some days looking at the at the account that that people were so giving during times where you know they were probably struggling as well but i mean there's there's got to be a lesson to be learned there as well and in accepting that people love you enough and that they want to help you right like there's there's no there's no shame in that in in having people care enough about you that that they want to support what you do 
Absolutely. I mean, that goes down to, you know, I, I used to have a really hard time just even accepting a compliment. I didn't know how to do it. And I, I'd get embarrassed and I'd blush and I, I you make some, some self-deprecating comment about, you know, just to sort of almost like th- throw it to the ground. It's like, I didn't want to be, you know, and I still struggle with that lots of days, you know, I don't really know how to deal with, with, with even, I guess, and I, I put this in quotations, but fans see even the fact that I'm like, I have a, I have a hard time saying that I have fans, even though I know I do, but I have a hard time sort of saying those words um, because I just, I, I, I guess I don't see myself as somebody who really would have fans, you know, but, but, but you are, I mean, that's, that's what keeps you doing it, right? Like the people like what you do and yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, but and I don't think this is something I have to tr- try out, but I, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay humble. You know, I'm, I always, I'm, I'm really weary at the, you know, the people that think they're cool probably aren't cool. <laughs> and the people that, that don't think they're cool probably are. And I think there's a lesson to be learned in that. It's like, just, you know, if, if take the compliment, sure, but you know, to stay, stay grounded. Again, I, I kind of want to bounce back a little bit to something that I've been thinking about here. As a teacher myself, um, I, 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 I don't know why, uh, I guess just my naivete or whatever, I, I would be kind of, um, I, I don't know if I'd have the confidence to go and teach on, on the reservation the way that you did, but it sounds like it was a really rewarding experience for you. So can you tell me a bit about why that meant so much to you and and why, like, do you think you got more out of it than you would have teaching in Lethbridge or Fort McLeod or wherever you were? Um, yeah, boy, uh, that's, that's, there's lots to unravel there. I, that, so yeah, I definitely think I got more out of it than if I just taught, you know, for a lack of a better term at a, at a, well, I guess I'll just say an off reserve school, but, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, it, 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 it occurred to me that when I first started going out there, I did, I did a couple of my, my teaching practicums out on the reserve and it was, you know, not having sort of lots of experience of being on a reserve or even being around many indigenous people. It, it struck me right away. as like, Oh, I'm in a different world here. Like this is, you know, I, I know that I'm only, you know, whatever it is, you know, 10 miles away from, you know, Cardston or Lethbridge or Fort McLeod or those places, but I'm definitely, I, you know, I crossed, I crossed a boundary here and I'm in a different place where there's you know, different culture. I mean, I, that sounds silly coming. Of course there's different culture, but I just mean like it's, uh, you know, and I messed up lots of times, you know, as a non-Indigenous person, I, you know, I didn't even realize that I wasn't following protocol or I'd messed up or I'd said something wrong or I'd overstepped or, you know, um, I, I, I screwed up lots on, on the reserve. Um, but I just, you know, I, I wanted, I kind of wanted just something different and, and my, I ended up doing, I mean, the, the whole reason I'm in Southern Alberta to begin with because was because I was in Calgary and I ended up taking an option class at Mount Royal college and it was called contemporary, contemporary native issues. And I loved the course a lot. I felt like I, I learned a lot. And one of the readings that we did in that class was uh, written by Leroy Little Bear. And when I looked at the end of the of the article, it said Leroy Little Bear, University of Lethbridge. And I thought, oh, I should, you know, I should go check out that, you know, what what else Leroy teaches and realize that there was a native native studies uh, program. I think it's called Indigenous Studies now, probably. But I, and and you know, just packed up my stuff in Calgary and and came to Lethbridge and finished a, a degree in Native American Studies. So I I was I was excited about going out out to the reserve and and uh, uh, had some great years out there. We're speaking uh, the week of a new national holiday, uh, kind of in an effort to. Um sort of uh, uh, pay tribute to and recognize uh, the sacrifices and difficulties that we've had with our Indigenous folks and uh, and a lot of stuff that's been happening with uh, on the reservation, the, the, the uh, uh, residential schools, and you, you have a you have a super powerful song about that as well. 
I'm just wondering if you can talk at all about sort of your perspective on some of these things that are going on and and that song and sort of how that came to be. Well, you know, again, it's like I, I've, I've kind of learned um, just from screwing up lots of times out on the reserve that there's things that, you know, I, I sort of, I mean, I obviously have an opinion and, 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 um, but I can't talk about, you know, certain things cause I don't know them and, and, uh, and I'm non-Indigenous, but I, I guess my overarching sort of thought right now is that, um, you know, this, this day, September 30th, this sort of day to, um, recognize uh truth and reconciliation um is i i feel like my job as a non-indigenous person who has been um made aware of of things like um uh just racist uh racist uh, government policies like residential school and and many others in the indian act my job as a non-indigenous person is to make sure that i correct those things with my son i i want to teach my i want my son to know the truth i don't want my son to open up his grade six social studies you know textbook and it starts with john a mcdonald and what a you know and what a hero he was getting the cpr you know i want him i want my son to know the truth because i feel like if he knows the truth he'll pass on the truth to his kids and and you know and i feel like that's that's my role right now as a dad and a non-indigenous dad is to try and make sure that my son doesn't, you know, isn't, um, learn, yeah, learns the truth. And, 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 and I think if people, I think more and more that the truth comes out, more and more people go, Oh boy, was I ever wrong thinking what I thought or having the views that I had. And, and I, and I kind of don't blame them because they, you know, I mean, I, I remember grade seven social studies. We learned what a hero John A. McDonald was. And I, and I know there's people out there that still think John A. McDonald is a hero. Um, and, you know, they don't believe in cancel culture and all of those things. But I feel like, I feel like there is, um, I, yeah, I just feel like that things need to be rectified. And I think part of my job is, is to help those around me and especially my son. To, to know the truth. So uh, I'm wondering a little bit about about reaction to a song like like Man of God and uh, and like um, sort of uh, obviously some people would would find um, it super helpful, but but I imagine especially being in the part of the world where you are, there might be some of that uh, shut up and sing um, type mentality as well. Did you face any backlash for for something like that and for speaking out the way you did? Yeah, and I mean, and I again, you know, it's I've thought about this a lot. Would I, if I could do it all over again, would I write a song like Man of God? I mean, not that I really set out to write that song. That song, I, I read I read a book by um, Edmund Matatawaben called Up Ghost River, and um, uh, that along with you know, other readings that I had done uh, th- through my degree and things like that. And just being uh, out on the reserve, you know, the, the small amount that I was, um, that song sort of, as other songwriters will tell you, some songs are just, they just pour out of you. And that one poured out of me. I, I didn't really sort of set out to say, hey, I'm going to write a song uh, called Man of God. But, you know, um, would I do it again? I I'm not sure because there was, there was, um, I, I got many emails and those sometimes were from non-Indigenous people saying, thanks for writing that song. I, I see, I see the issue differently, but I also got, uh, emails from, uh, I remember I got one from the son of a, um, wasn't a priest, a reverend, a reverend who was a reverend at a residential school. And, and he said to me, my dad is not a monster. And, and your, your song portrays him as a monster. And all I said to him was, this song isn't about your dad. This, this song is, is, you know, is, is, well, really, I mean, it was based on Edmund Matatawabin's 
childhood memoirs. That's what the book is. But I said, you know, it's it's the, this is the story of many Indigenous children. So there were emails like that, and then there were there were there were emails from Indigenous people saying thank you, you know, f for caring. And then I also got emails from Indigenous people saying you have no right to to sing that song. That's not your place. And uh, and I find it offensive. Yeah, I mean, I got the whole I got the whole gamut. So that's why I say, you know, say, would I ever do that again? Would I write that song again? You know, um, I, I I don't know. I can't answer that question because, as I said, I didn't set out to write it. It sort of that song, kind of, just came like a big, you know, thunderclap, and and it was all of a sudden it was down on paper. Was it worth it? I guess. <laughs> I mean, uh, would you do it again? <laughs> is is different than like overall? Do do you feel glad that you did it though? Like. Well, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't even know if there's a, if, if there's a point of looking back. I did, you know, the song is, was written. I did record it. It's out there in the world. Um, uh, you know, I took, I took, I took the money from that song. So anytime anybody bought that uh, recording or if it was sold on uh, iTunes or, or, you know, back when songs were still a dollar which seemed like ridiculously cheap then but um i took that money and i donated it to an organization called witness blanket which was a, a sort of a traveling um museum piece that would go around and it was a, a huge quilt you know that had been sewn um with different bits and pieces of of people's stories and survivors stories and, and stuff like that so i, I that's where you know, I sort of gave the money there because it, it occurred to me um, that, you know, here I am, I'm writing a, a song that could be, I guess, um, yeah, it just occurred to me that it's like, I, you know, I didn't write this song to sort of sell records or make a buck and not that, you know, not that I sell that many records, but just to, to make a buck. And I, 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 want, I knew going into recording, it's like, okay, this money is going to get donated to some sort of organization i know i've taken up a lot of your time uh just uh looking forward here so the record comes out soon what's the plan with it now that you've kind of had this downtime at home do you do you adjust your touring at all or or do you uh do you have a new perspective on on what you're going to do once this thing comes out yeah i mean my touring is adjusted for me <laughs> you know um but presuming that that normal is a thing again yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess I envisioned when I was sitting in the studio in November that, you know, I would, you know, do some, you know, album release shows, um, you know, around the time, but I'm not sure I'm gonna, uh, you know, I just last week I had three more cancellations. They were sort of everything was canceled and then August hit and people were like, oh, okay, I think things are going to lighten up a bit. So you know, I had some shows booked, but they're they're slowly um, they're slowly dropping off as well. I'm I'm hoping that some of them, you know, some of them will stay. But I, I at the same time, and I've I've said this to the venue owners: it's like I totally respect your decision, and I think it's the right decision. But you know, we we can do this later. You know, um, so yeah, I don't really have any big plans for. Uh, album release or, or anything like that um i'm sort of in fact i may just wait you know the album's going to come out october 15th but who knows maybe october 15th 2022 i'll, <laughs> I'll go and you know do some album release shows and and try and get out on the road a bit yeah i'm really not worrying about it all that much because it's really out of my control you, you got to believe that you you're going to be able to go out there and sell a few copies of this thing though once it's done and and get it out to people so. yeah I mean, I hope so. You know, I hope that uh, I, I'm, I, um, I'm, I've gotten a good response from the, you know, the people that who, you know, have heard it, you know, radio and stuff like that. I, um, I've got a bunch of interviews lined up, which is always a, a nice feeling because I feel like, oh, okay, well, you did, you did something right there on that last album. So, yeah. I ain't afraid of a tough crime, a rough patch, and a hard time. You and me through it all, big and small, I'm in it for the long haul. In just a couple of weeks on October 15th, John will release his new album, which is again produced by Steve Dawson 
called Long Haul. You can order John's albums as well as a songbook, iron-on patches, and even amazing John Wart Hannum tea towels from his website, johnworthannum.com. That's John, W-O-R-T-H-A-N-N-A-M.com. I really hope you enjoyed this talk with John Ward Hannum. I know episodes of the show have been kind of sporadic lately, but I've already got a couple of other powerful episodes recorded that will be released in the weeks to come. If you don't want to miss out, make sure that you subscribe on your favorite streaming service or podcasting platform, and that you visit the show's website at flywithyourshadow.com. There, I post music credits, links, and more information. There's also a sign-up right on the homepage to subscribe to new posts on the website, so you'll be notified about new episodes and information the minute that it's posted. As always, this show is ad-free and costs you absolutely nothing. If you do want to support the show, please consider sharing the episode with someone who might enjoy it. Your help spreading the word would mean a lot, and it would be greatly appreciated. You might also like my singer-songwriter radio show, Tell the Band to Go Home, which just celebrated its 19th anniversary on UMFM here in Winnipeg this week. I hope you'll check that out as I begin my 20th year of hosting that show. I'm Jeff Robson, and I thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of the show, and I hope you'll join me again on the next episode of Fly With Your Shadow.